You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. I want to begin today by saying Happy Father's Day to the fathers who are here. This is a special day for you, uh, marked on the calendar to uh, honor dad, to acknowledge dad. And uh, so bless you dads in the room. Hope that you're encouraged today. But I also too want to encourage us as a church to acknowledge uh, our spiritual fathers. So I'm thinking particularly of men that uh, have God has placed in your life who have encouraged you, who have uh, equipped you, who have exhorted you, who maybe maybe even led you to faith. And uh, I just I think it's important on Father's Day that as a church that we honor such men in our lives. Could be thanking God for them, or if uh, I think also it'd be great for you to let them know if you're able to, if they're still living, you know where they are, you can reach out to them to let them know, hey, listen, this is, you have ministered to me. And I think that'd be a really meaningful thing for us to do on a day like today is to acknowledge uh, those men, or at least to do it uh, soon. So happy Father's Day uh, to those to whom that would apply. And uh, also, too, I wanted to say today is, so Shane, who led us this morning, is his birthday today. So happy birthday, Shane. Yeah, yeah, happy birthday, Shane. I don't know, I think he slipped out. All right. He slipped out, so anyway, we'll make sure we tell him that we uh, wished him a happy birthday. Now, at this time, I just want to ask Brett and Bria Patterson if they would come and join me here, and Brian, if you'd come and join us as well. And, um, well, this is a, it's a good day, and it's a, it's a day I didn't want to have come, but anyway, it's here, and God is good. Actually, really, you know, our gathering today really is a joyous occasion, uh, one in which we have mixed emotions. And for good reason. I mean, think about it. Think of the joy, the reasons for joy we have today. We stand in Christ forgiven. We are loved by God. We're adopted by him. We're indwelt by the Spirit. We are united by the Holy Spirit together. So we are indeed brothers and sisters in him. We're recipients of mercy. The Bible says God's mercies are new every day, every morning. So we got, when you opened your eyes this morning... You met new mercy from God. We stand in grace. I mean, we're here because of God's kindness to us in Christ. And the Lord is with us. Jesus said, I'm with you always. So many reasons for us to be joyful today. But also the reality is, too, that we're also sad. That's just the truth. Because today, as a church, we, in a formal sense, say goodbye to a pastor. A man who's loved us, served us prayed for us, uh, counseled us, taught us, encouraged us, comforted us, rebuked us, given important years of his life to us, this man is leaving. And that is cause for sadness. It's good and right for us to be saddened today because one who has been precious to us, God is calling away. What is more, it's not just Brett who's being called away, but Bria too. As much as Brett's role has been vital in our church and leadership, Bria has made a huge, immeasurable contribution to the life of this church. 
loving the Lord's people, serving sacrificially, praying, teaching, giving, encouraging, comforting, and so much more. You, brothers and sisters, have been beneficiaries of Bria's faithful, godly ministry here alongside her husband, and we're going to miss her immensely, too. Not only are Brett and Bria going, but they're taking their kids with them, too. William and Charlie. These boys have been loved members of our church family who've worshipped here with us, learned with us, grown with us, have been part of the ministry. They have really been part of the ministry of their mom and dad here at Hope Bible Church Niagara, and we're really going to miss them too, this whole family. Now, for those of you who've been here at Hope or before that harvest for a long time, I know this is especially emotional day for you. Um, and because, well, you've been through lots together. You've been down a, a long road, a long journey together. And truthfully, it probably won't be for a little while, after some time, after some weeks, before it will really set in that Brett and Bria have been called away from us. However, as much as we are saddened that the Pattersons are leaving, we're also, we also are excited for them, and we should be excited for them. And we should not only be excited for them, but we should encourage them to follow the Lord's leading. If God is calling them elsewhere, then it's good for them to go where God is calling. And good and right for us to bless them and to pray for them as they step out in faith. Now, Brett knows uh, that I don't want him to go. (laughs) He knows that I've told him probably an annoying number of times, almost every time the subject comes up, Uh, It's because I love him, I love his family, and I'm going to miss him more than he knows. But I also am sure that he and Bria are sure that it is God who's directing their steps. And so I want to, along with you, encourage them in that. Even if it's not what I want, if it's what God wants, then it's good. And I'm in. Same God who called them here a decade ago has full rights to call them away. And we acknowledge that, and we, we embrace that. So I want to say three things, and then, um, and then I'm going to ask Brian to pray. Three things. First of all, I want to say, Brett and Bria, thank you. Thank you so much for everything you've done here. It's like That sounds so trite, like everything you've done here, but God knows that that everything is a ton of things that you've done here. Thank you so much. And there's people whose lives have been changed by God through you. And that doesn't stop when you leave here, right? And it doesn't stop at all when you leave here. Not at all. But I think it's important just for us to tell you how grateful we are for what you've done here. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for faithfully, for faithfully serving here, sacrificially serving here, and being partners together with the saints here in the gospel. Thank you. I also want to tell you that you, you are loved. You are loved by God, which is everything. And you're loved by us. You're loved by this church. Um, this is why it's so hard is because we love you, right? Like if you were useless and we didn't like you, this would be, right? <laughs> but you're emphatically not, you know? And, and we love you not just because of what you've done, but we, we love you because of the unity we have in Christ, 
And that's huge. It's a testimony to him. So we want you to know that we love you. And, and also in loving you, we, I think it's important for us to say part of that is that we totally support what you're doing. Because you are, you're trusting the Lord in this and you're stepping out in faith. And so we totally support you in that. And that's an expression of our love. And then the third thing, I just wanted to bless you. To bless you uh, using the words of, that God gave to Moses with which to bless Israel. He said this. He said, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and may he give you peace. Now, immediately following the service today, we're going to right outside there. You probably saw it coming in. In fact, you probably had a hard time finding a parking spot this morning. That's their fault because we're out there celebrating them and everything having cake. But there's cake for you too, okay? So when the service ends, Brett and Bree are going to be out there. Great opportunity for you just to say hi to them or bye to them and and uh, just to spend a bit of time together. And uh, so we will, we will do that. Um, I'm going to get Brian to pray in a minute, but I got something for you here. And so uh, this is it's not from me. It's from all of us, from our whole church. It's uh, a gift for you. And uh, I will I'll let you know what's in there. Because what is it? What is it? What is it? So in there is uh, $500 worth of gas. Okay? On a card. On a card. All right? A gas card. Five, which isn't as much gas as it once was, right, as we know. But it's still, so $500 in a gas card. $500 for the Bass Pro Shop, which, which now if you don't know Brett and Bria well, if you're new like me, you should know that that is every bit as much a gift for Bria as it is for Brett. So they're both, uh, you saw the fist pump there. And also one of our women uh, does some, just some fantastic artwork, and uh, we wanted to give you a, uh, something you can hang on your wall, something meaningful, just a word from the Lord to hang on your wall. We want it to be something you pick. And when you, you're in this building transition right now, so once you have walls on which to hang it, then it would be good to cash that in. And there's a card in there for you to give to her, and she will create something of your liking that we want you to have to encourage you and bless you and remind you of the saints here at Hope Bible Church Niagara. All right. So, anyway, folks, let's just show them our appreciation this morning and applause. I'm going to ask one of our elders, a chairman of our elders, Brian McGrath, if you'd just come on over here and pray. Yeah. I honestly don't know which one of those gift cards I envy more. And Lord, they have been an incredible help to this church in every role they've taken on. Lord, we thank you for the godliness of this couple. We thank you for the godliness of their family, how they have led their children so well. We thank you, Lord, for how you have matured them, how you have filled them with your spirit at every turn. Lord, we know that in, in your work, you call us to a work we're not capable of. You call us to a work that we can't do without you. And then you equip us for it. And you fill us with your spirit and you lead us. And that is exactly what you've done with Brett and Bria 
Throughout the years, Lord, you have been with them. You have gifted them. You have equipped them. You have filled them with your spirit. You have given them wisdom. And Lord, we thank you for their time with us. We have been blessed by them. And Father, as a ministry, we have sought to build them up. We have in some part equipped them. And we have contributed in some small way to what you have done. And now we are having to release them. And that's hard. Lord, we don't want to see them go. But we know it's your will. And so, Lord, reluctantly, we open our hands and say thank you for the time they've been with us. We ask you to be with them. Mm-hmm. Knit them together as a couple, Lord. Yes. Strengthen their marriage as they go into this new set of challenges. Lord, I pray that you will strengthen their family yes. as they seek out this new adventure, as they move forward in your will. Mm-hmm. And Lord, I pray that some sense of healing will come to them too. Mm-hmm. Because in their time with us, they have been with us through some very dark times. Mm-hmm. And they have been faithful. And so, Lord, we thank you for everything they've done. We pray, Lord, that you will bless them and equip them, prosper them, Lord, Mm -hmm. and give them joy in service as we see them go. Mm -hmm. And then, Lord, grow your kingdom through their work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. wonder if you would just open up your Bibles, please, to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And, um, you know, there's no real easy way to transition from that to this, so we'll just do it. We'll just open up our Bibles. And if, if you're a guest with us here or you're newer to a church, you, you may or may not have noticed, in the back of the pew in front of you, there are Bibles there that you can use if you don't have one with you and you want to follow along. I just encourage you to reach out and lay hold of that Bible and open it up. Just use the table of contents, find the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, if you're really adventurous, yeah, you can just sort of open it up in the middle somewhere, and you're probably pretty close, all right? So, uh, but you just use the table of contents, power it up in your phone. Love for you to see uh, this passage. It is a very interesting one, I think a vitally important one for us, that has the, really the potential to radically impact our thinking and to change our lives. And so I want you to see it as uh, before I preach it. In fact, before I go any further, I just, let me just pray again and ask the Lord to help us as we read and study his word together. So, Father, as we open up your word, we acknowledge that it is yours. It's authoritative for us. Lord, we need to hear, we need to hear from you, Lord. That's who we need. We need you. And, Lord, I need you. I pray that you would help me to be faithful to teach this text, to preach in the power of the Spirit, and to be a vessel through whom you do good to those who are gathered here and are listening and watching online. Lord, we commit this time to you and pray that we would encounter you. Lord, I ask this 
in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to begin by reading this passage. And again, just for context, what we're about to read here are, it's the reflections, the the, the lessons, the observations of someone who went on a journey away from God. Here's what he reports. I said in my heart, chapter 2, verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born into my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. In other words, I was eyes wide open to this. I was being very careful and calculated in this. My wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered that my what my hands then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity or futile or empty or meaningless. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing, note that word nothing, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. That is, looking, just leaving God out of the picture. What was there to be gained with God out of the picture under the sun? He says, nothing. It's been said that smart people learn from their own mistakes. Wise people learn from the mistakes of others. I wonder, are you smart or are you wise? If you, if you are not the oldest, if you've got an older sibling, then maybe you have found the way of wisdom in learning from the mistakes of your older brother or sister. Like you learned how not to speak to your parents. Or you, you, learned, you learned when it's the best, when it's optimal to show mom or dad your bad report card. You, you learned just exactly how to go about asking for the car for the weekend. You watched their mistakes and you took mental notes of it and you learned from their mistakes to walk wisely. Are you smart or are you wise? Wise people learn from the mistakes of others. If that is indeed true, then this text that we have just read 
can be for us a fountain of wisdom because it's one man's journal of an experiment gone, gone bad, an experiment in which he sought to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment through pleasure. And we can see here he had an unusual capacity to be able to try this out. He had the power, he had the resources, he had the wealth that he would need to be able to really actually try this on. In fact, he was more suited than you and I would ever be. If you or I decided to do an experiment on finding fulfillment and wisdom, we would, few of us here would have the resources to be able to really do it up like this. But he had unlimited resources, he had the power, he had the opportunity, and he went headlong, he plunged deep into a pool of pleasure and indulgence to see, to find out if there was fulfillment there, if there's meaning there, if there's something in there in that experience in which he could say, yes, this is living, this is life. But you can see that he came up empty. He said, all is vanity. In fact, he started there. He says, behold, this also was vanity. It's meaningless. It's purposeless. I wonder if, have you ever overheard yourself ask, saying something like this to yourself? If only I had something, then I'd be happy. Have you ever overheard yourself thinking that or maybe muttering that under your breath or saying that when you're low in the car? If only I had then I'd be happy. Or maybe you've heard yourself say, you know, if, I mean, if I had what she had, if I had what he had, then I'd be good. Have you ever, ever heard yourself thinking that or realize that you are thinking that? I think there's a part of us that knows. We know in our minds, many of us know, okay, well, that's not true. That's where the life is at. You can't put anything other than God in that blank and find true happiness and fulfillment. As church-going people, as many of you are, you know that there's folly in that kind of a statement. If only I had blank, then I'd be happy. We know that, but my observation is, is that there's many of us that don't yet believe it. We have a hard time believing that. We're still tempted to think, that there's pleasures to be had in this world and that if I could have them, then I'd be truly happy. This passage here is given to disabuse us of that folly. It's given to free us from that kind of bondage to sorrow that, that this person that we're reading about here found out. It, it's here, it's given to us to rescue us from fooling ourselves into thinking that pleasure and power and money can bring me true happiness. Not that there's any, we're going to see that not there's anything wrong with finding pleasure and having things and having experiences. But if I have in my mind and in my heart this belief that it's going to fulfill me, this passage rescues me from that misery. See, the preacher or the teacher, as he's referred to, the person I believe was probably Solomon, King Solomon, David's son. He made a full headlong leap into anything and everything he could think of to try to experience pleasure and enjoyment in order to find fulfillment. But what he found instead was disappointment and frustration and emptiness. That's why I'm calling this sermon, Don't Try This at Home. Don't try this at home. Learn, be a wise person, and learn from the mistakes of others. Don't try this at home. Now, in chapter one, he made the observation that life is generally a frustrating experience. Oh, yeah, there's lots of good things that happen along the way, 
But the reality is that there's so much monotony, there's so much that's just broken and bent and out of shape to find fulfillment in this life without God is a futile exercise. And he he worked that out in his mind and came to that place of saying, meaningless, meaningless, vanity of vanities, empty, empty. There's no there, there, here apart from God. So he worked that out mentally. But then in chapter two, he's going to try that on experientially. And he's going to try it on here, as we've read, through seeking pleasure in any way that he could find it. And you see, I mean, he went all out. He, he spared no expense to go and to find pleasure. But notice right up front, he gives us the conclusion. Do you see that? Verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Just pause here to notice, who does he consult as he, as he embarks on this experiment? Who does he talk to? He talks to himself. He's his own counselor. How many foolish, regretful things have you gotten into when you just took your own personal advice? Yeah, I just, I just consulted me before I embarked on this. Uh, yeah, that, you're setting yourself up here for, for trouble. He doesn't consult Scripture, doesn't consult God, doesn't consult godly people around. He consults himself. And how did that work out? Well, he says it did not go well because he says, Behold, the second half of verse 1, Behold, this also was vanity empty, void of any lasting value or meaning. He went after pleasure and enjoyment, and it didn't pay off. He ended up right back after all that time and expense and pursuing. He ended up right back where he began. Empty, meaningless. Now, I love the book of Ecclesiastes, and one of the things I love about it is just how upfront it is about the truth of the matter. I love this right here. Before we even read about all that he indulged in, he just tells us right up front. Just going to tell you right now before you go any further, this was a complete, total, disastrous waste and disappointment. Right up front. It's just like, it's just like the warning right in the front of the cigarette package, right? This is not good for you. What you're about to read here ain't going to work out. It's not going to go well. You notice the world is generally not like that? The world promises us pleasures but understates the cost. The devil is not up front with the cost. The the devil tells us that the kind of short-term thrills that we're in for are going to be thrilling, but it leaves aside the long-term devastation and bondage and despair that will follow. No pornographic film begins with a warning that says, what you're about to view will leave you empty and ashamed and wanting and in bondage to wanting more. All right, there's no before you click on that illicit image or video online, there's there's no warning pops onto your computer screen to caution you to say this what you're about to see will distort your perception of sexuality, will cause you to become a person who objectifies and consumes people. Doesn't, doesn't warn us about that. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't tell us it's going to degrade your view of women or pull you into something that likely will become a long-term addiction if it hasn't already. There's, there's no warning that comes on that says, hey, you're going to waste your money, you're going to waste your time, and you are in the process going to piddle away your sense of self-worth. Instead, it holds out hope of a satisfaction, a thrill, a fulfillment that, listen, always ultimately disappoints. Because apart from God, that's what we find in this world. And that is the upfront conclusion to the matter. Now, he is going to spell out for us what he pursued and how he tried to find meaning and fulfillment. But right up front, he says, I'm going to tell you right now, 
If you think that you will find life and the meaning of life and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction in pursuing pleasure in this world apart from God, I'm going to tell you right now, you will be utterly disappointed. In fact, you'll be more disappointed because you will have spent yourself chasing after something that's never delivered. And then you, the darkness you're in now will be darker still. That is the conclusion of the matter right up front. Now, what pleasure did he get into? Well, we read it. A lot of things, right? I've summarized it as five different things. There's more than five, but you'll see I've kind of summarized it together. We see him seeking fulfillment through, first of all, the pleasure of fun. The pleasure of fun. He talks about laughter in verse 2. Do you see that? I said of laughter... It is mad, or uh, laughter speaks of, of comedy, or having a good time, pursuing hilarity. Just, just make me laugh here. Maybe going to watch a few comedians, right? Let's, let's see what you got for me. And they were funny. But in the end, what, what did I have in the end? You know, the joke was funny the first time, the second time. By the time I heard it the fourth time, and not funny anymore. And what's more is that he calls this laughter, he says, it's madness, uh, there's, there's, it has this sense of this is going to be great and this was great, but then it's over. Isn't it a sad reality too that some of the people who make us laugh the most live in terrible darkness and even despair privately? This is purely my opinion, purely my opinion. I think in my lifetime, one of the funniest people who's lived in my lifetime, was Robin Williams. Dude was funny. And even when you think I shouldn't be laughing, it, it, it's funny and talented. I, I don't know if I have ever seen a more talented, off-the-charts talented actor and comedian. But Robin Williams, when he wasn't making people laugh in public, in private lived in horrendous darkness and sadness and despair. And even in the end, his life ended at his own hands. I think that's an insight that Solomon got with this whole thing of hilarity and laughter. Some people love to laugh, and I love to laugh. But if we think that that's where the life is, he's like, that's madness. What about pleasure? The word pleasure there speaks of fest festivities or festivals or it's partying, partying, right? You get lots of people you know who live for the weekend. And that's, that's this thing. He's like, I did that. Only, only Solomon wasn't a chance to have every day was a weekend. And he could live it up. And maybe you go all out at Christmas time. I don't know how many of you go all out at Christmas, like all in, lights, the whole bit, like everything, decorations. How many of you, don't be ashamed, hands up nice and high here. I'm not, absolutely. I love people who go all out at Christmas time. Yes, we should. It's great. But, and, and so I'm not down that at all. There are people, though, that think that, you know, if I'm going to find real meaning and satisfaction, I need to go all out all the time. And so we live for the weekend and try to just do it up and party hardy, party hard. But, but the thing is, is that they don't, there's no pot of gold at the end of that case of beer. The people in the beer community should seem happy. How come I'm not happy? Well, because there's no there, there, there. It's pretend, it's fakery, it's the trick. It's pleasure doesn't do it. Laughter, pleasure, alcohol. That's what I'm missing here. What good is a Christmas party if there's no booze flowing? That'll get us in the spirit somehow, some way. So he tries that out. What does he do? He says he seeks after, after alcohol. I searched my heart to know how to cheer my body with 
wine. Now notice he says, my heart's still guiding me with wisdom. So I take it to mean he recognized that, listen, I'm not going to find satisfaction fulfillment if I turn into a fall-down drunk. So I'm going to try to be very calculated about this. I'm going to just see if consuming some wine will help me just get there and, and find, that, find that experience where I'm like, yes, that, that's the living. But again, he's already told us what the conclusion was at the beginning. It was all vanity. It was empty. He sought fulfillment through the pleasure of fun. But the fun ran out. So he tried it through accomplishments. He sought to find pleasure through, uh, sought to find fulfillment, sorry, through the pleasure of accomplishments. And in verses four to seven, we read about him building and developing and accumulating. He says in verse four, he says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. Notice it's all for himself. Right? It's about me being satisfied. It's about my happiness. So he's building. I'm doing this for me. This isn't you time. This is me time because I'm trying to find here this. I'm trying to. I got this hole in my heart that I can't seem to fill. So I'm going to try to fill it with these things, with having. Partying and drinking didn't work. So how about building and, and developing? He makes gardens for himself, verse 5, and parks. And then verse 6, he's got pools for watering them. And then verse 7, he bought male and female slaves. In antiquity, in this context, it speaks of someone who is developing, somebody, somebody who's developed much, who has accomplished much, who has power. And what, does, what did he find from all this? Well, he told us right up front. It's meaningless. It's empty. It's empty. There's this thinking out there that if you can just have, and if you could just be successful, if you could be a somebody, that's living, then you'll be satisfied. Well, Solomon, I'm telling you, he was more of a somebody than any of us here are ever going to be. And he said, and, and what was his conclusion? He started right up front and saying, I still got the hole in my heart. It's still empty. He amassed a huge workforce of status and power and prestige Seeking fulfillment through the pleasure of accomplishment. There was no there, there. So then he just sought it just straight out wealth. Notice verse 7, the second half of verse 7. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. Possessions and wealth. It's tricky for us because we hear about herds and flocks and it, our, just, our society is just so different. We think in terms of cash, what's in the bank? What kind of capital do you have? But in antiquity, in antiquity, he's speaking here in terms of real serious wealth. You know, we understand uh, from Scripture, 1 Kings 4 and 26, that Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses, 12,000 horsemen, 1,400 chariots. Just to put it in perspective, it makes Jay Leno's car collection look like a case full of dinky cars. It's just, just a joke. He was extraordinarily wealthy, so wealthy that dignitaries would come from far and wide bringing gifts themselves just to get the, the ancient equivalent of a selfie with Solomon. See, I was here. I met Solomon. And get to see all that he has. We've heard about his wisdom and his wealth. Now we've come to see it. And the more dignitaries come, the more acclaim he got. They brought gifts. The more wealthier he got. He was filthy, stinking rich. Solomon. In fact, I don't know what to make of this, but there are some, some pretty smart people who tried to figure out, like, what was the worth of Solomon? If we could somehow transpose him and his worth into our time, like, how wealthy would he be? And I don't know how accurate this is, but it's, it's been posited 
that in today's economy, Solomon would have been worth over $2 trillion, which is way too much money for me to even know, like, what does that even mean? But those who are smarter than me who've done some of this calculating have said, that's more than two times the combined wealth of the 30 richest people in the world today. Bottom line, he was wealthy. Did that make him happy? Did that, did that fill the hole in his heart? There's a lot of people that are sure that it would. There's a lot of people, maybe even some of you, who are trying to live like it will. But he, he already said right up front, way back in verse 1, Behold, this also was vanity, empty, meaningless, void of fulfillment. Seeking fulfillment through the, the pleasures of wealth. Verse 8, he sought the fulfillment through the pleasures of entertainment. See that in verse 8? He says he talked about the gold and the, the silver and the gold that he amassed. Talked about his, his financial wealth. Then the middle of verse 8, I got singers both men and women. I got singers, both men and women. Having concerts and stuff in those days was not very common at all. It was highly, highly unusual to have uh, singers' uh, performances with, with singers. But this is what he had. He had these musicians. He had the A-listers of his day. So I don't know, was it Drake? Was Drake there? Was it Bruno Mars? Was it Adele? Was it Lady Gaga? Maybe Elvis himself showed up and played a few songs. I don't know. But he had all the A-listers come. And imagine all the claim and the fame that comes with that. But even still, he said, that's, that was all vanity. He sought fulfillment through the pleasures of entertainment. Finally, the end of verse 8, seeking fulfillment through the pleasures of sex. He says, and many concubines. He says, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men, concubines, girlfriends, sexual partners. You know, Solomon had 300 concubines, 300 girlfriends. He also had 700 wives. My math is sketchy on a good day, but according to my calculations, that's 1,000 sexual partners. Was he satisfied in that? No. We live in a culture that's convinced, that's persistently telling us that that is where it's at. That the greatest thing in life, the thing that you need, if you're even going to be true to you, then you must be sexually satisfied. And you must take advantage of any and every sexual outlet that your heart craves. And the implicit message is that's where the life is. Solomon's like, no, no, I'm telling you right now. That is not where the life is. Yeah, yeah, it's thrilling. Yeah, it feels good for a time. But the hole is still in my heart. It doesn't fill it. Everybody talks and acts like it will fill it, but it doesn't. In fact, we find it makes it worse. The darkness intensifies. The hole deepens. Seeking fulfillment through sexual pleasures it's not how it worked. It did not work for him. What about in our culture? Well, we believe that it will. And through the internet, all kinds of people have their own virtual harems. We are not a happier people. We are not satisfied apart from God. What's the conclusion of this? What's, what's the point that he's making? Here's how I would summarize it. The main point, I think, is this. Pursuing pleasure apart from God, is never fully fulfilling. 
pursuing pleasure apart from God, so leaving God out of the picture. I'm going to go after and seek after whatever I want. And whatever I set my mind to, whatever my heart desires, I'm going to go after that. And that, surely that's where, that's where I'll find life and fulfillment. Solomon's showing us here, no, no, pursuing pleasure apart from God is never fully satisfying, never fully fulfilling. He says in verse 11, again, he repeats himself saying, it's vanity, it's, it's fleeting, it's elusive, it's profitless, it's meaningless. He went searching to find it and could never lay hold. He says, verse 11, it's like chasing after the wind. It's like you're at the campfire and the billows of smoke are rolling around you. Try to reach out and grab, grab hold of that smoke. Grab it. Come on, grab it. It's right there. Grab it. And it's like you squeeze your hands and it's gone. That's what it is to try to find fulfillment through pleasures in this world apart from God. It's like trying to grab hold of smoke or lay hold of the wind. You just, you, you can't, you, you're ever and always left empty-handed. And it's frustrating because it's right there and everybody talks like this is where it's at, but you get there and you, you plunge into the pool and all you find is you just got wet. There's no there, there. Pleasure pursued for its own sake cannot and will not satisfy your soul. He says in verse 11, there is nothing to be gained under the sun without God, apart from God, when you remove God from the equation. It's not that you can't enjoy things, it's just that they won't fulfill you. There's a God-sized hole in your heart that only God can fill. But we fall into the delusion of thinking that other things can fill it. And Solomon says, stop being deluded because they won't. Pursuing pleasure apart from God is never fully fulfilling. Why is that? I wrote down a couple of things that I think, I think start to get at it. Why is it that pleasures apart from God are never fully fulfilling? One, pleasures apart from God are limited in how long they last. See, God lasts forever. <laughs> he is eternal. But the pleasures we seek in this world apart from him are temporary what was his reward? He says, well, in verse, verse 10, he talked about having, finding pleasure in the doing, in the act. It was pleasureful. But what am I left with in the end? Well, it, it was over. It's like when you go to Wonderland and you wait in line for an hour and a half to get on this ride and you're sweating and you're dehydrated and you're frustrated and you're waiting and waiting. But there comes a point. It's like at a certain point, you know, this is going to take way too long, but you sort of just hang in there. And then after you've invested time, then you can't bear the thought of ducking out of the line because then what was the last 45 minutes for? But you keep waiting and waiting. And now it's like an hour and 10 minutes. It's like, if I'd known it had been this long, I wouldn't have done it. But I'm, the ride's getting closer and I got this much time in and I'm going to get on the ride. And, and it's really exciting and I've heard about it. So I'll just keep it. You get an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes. And an hour and a half, you are drenched, you're wet, you're trying to remember, what was this ride again? Oh yeah, it's this one. It's going to be awesome. You get in that ride, an hour and a half of your precious life invested in that lineup. Now you're in the ride. This is going to be epic. And away it goes. And woo! Yeah! <laughs> woo! And then it's over. And then you get off and the next sweaty, smelling individual gets in and they do their little scream for four minutes, three minutes. And it's over. Loved ones, that's what it is pursuing pleasures in this world apart from God. It's a scream for a few minutes, but it doesn't last. You know this, don't you? You know this. All good things, what? 
must come to an end. See, you know this. Do you believe it? Pleasures apart from God are limited in how long they can last. God is eternal. You will never plumb the depths of him. One of the wonders about eternity is that in heaven, we will daily always be more and more satisfied forever because we'll never get to the end of God where we've experienced all of him, where we fully understand all of him. We will forever be delighting in him because he is eternal. I think that's awesome. But you see, we, and as Bible-believing Christians, we fall into the trap of thinking that other things apart from him can satisfy, but they can't. They can't. They're limited in how long they can last. Also, pleasures apart from God are limited in how much they can do. They can do some things for you. Wealth, sex, possessions, prestige. All these things have something in them that they can do for you for a time to a point. But they're limited really ultimately and how much they can do. I mean, think about Solomon here. Why didn't he just stop at laughter and parties and alcohol? Like, why not just stop there? Why didn't you just get there and just, okay, that's enough? Why did you not stop at having built an empire? Why not stop at just all the herds and the livestock? Why, why did he have to add gold and silver and jewels to it? Why so many women? Why 300 girlfriends? Why not, why not four? Five. Why 700 wives? Why not one? Even a dozen? Why, why a thousand sexual partners? Why, why just more and more and more? Because here's the thing. Because pleasures apart from God are limited in what they can do. That's, it's more, it, apart from God, more is, listen, never enough. More is never enough. And you know that, don't you? You know that. It's like we saw from Mick Jagger a week ago. I try, and I try, and I try, but I can't, I can't get no satisfaction. Yes, because there's a God-sized hole in your heart that only God can fill. And here's the thing. That God-sized hole is built in. It's a feature of your humanity. Because you were made for him. There's a reason these other things don't satisfy. It's because you weren't made for these other things. You're made for him. Only he can fill that, that hole because only he is enough. So loved ones, stop wasting your life pursuing after trying to grab onto smoke. We can lay hold of God by faith. We're made for him. Pursuing pleasure apart from God is never fully fulfilling because pleasures apart from God are limited in how long they last and they're limited in how much they can do. So I want to leave you today with three words of practical wisdom for your life. So like, here's where I'm at now. I'm like, okay, so we've seen here that pursuing pleasures apart from God is never fully fulfilling. So what then do I do now? Like, what, what do I do? I've got down three things for you. Number one, trust in the wisdom of God's word. Trust God. Take God at his word. Trust in the wisdom of God's word. 
Now, many of you are not surprised at me giving this application. We're Hope Bible Church. We, we, we love the Word of God because it's God's Word. And so we regularly exhort and encourage each other to be in God's Word, to read God's Word, to believe God's Word. You're not surprised to hear me say that, but I, I do want you to feel the point of this point. That is to trust the wisdom of God's Word. God's word warns us about the fleeting pleasures of sin. There are pleasures to be found even in that which God forbids, but they're fleeting pleasures that leave us bankrupt and empty. God's word warns us about that. It, it, call, it says, hey, listen, I'm telling you, it's only for a short, short time. It may be a good time, but it's not a long time, and on the other side of it is disaster. We've got to trust God's word. We've got to believe what God says. Believe it. It's, God's word warns us about the fleeting pleasures of sin. It warns us, Hebrews 3 and 13, about the deceitfulness of sin. Sin deceives us. We, we, we fall for, we fall fools before sin because it deceives us into thinking that life apart from God is where the fun at, is at. Think about, think about, for example, Adam and Eve. You know Adam and Eve, not personally, you know who I mean though, right? The first people that ever lived in this world. We read about them in the book of Genesis. And what we find there is that things went so sideways for them. It all came crashing down when they did not trust the wisdom of God's word. God spoke to them. God told them that if you eat the fruit of this tree, you will die. So don't do it. You want life? You want happiness, you want fulfillment, then trust me. But what did they do? They didn't believe God. In fact, they believed that God was holding out on them. They were deceived by sin into thinking, they were deceived by Satan and by sin into thinking that there is fulfillment to be had, that God's keeping from us. Apart from him, there's something here, there's, there's something here that we've got to have, that we've got to experience. They did not trust the wisdom of God's word. And ask the Dr. Phil question, how'd that work out for them? How's it working out for you? Not good. God's word warns us about the deceitfulness of sin. Think of Edmund from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You know, the white witch comes along and she knows his vulnerabilities. She butters him up, makes him feel all good about himself, and then the piastre resistance, she offers up the Turkish delight. I don't know what Turkish delight is, but apparently it's delicious because Edmund was willing to sell out his siblings for some Turkish delight. Now, if it was me in the story, the White Witch, she would have tempted me with potato chips. It had been Miss Vicky sea salt and malt vinegar chips. I go to pieces over them. I tear into a big bag of those, and I always promise myself I'm only going to eat so much, and I, I just, I can't. I can't help myself. That's what it would be for me. What did Edmund do? He was bought with Turkish delight. He thought, there is, there is something here for me to have and to experience, and he was deceived. Deceived into disaster. God's word warns us, though. It's not like we're not warned. He tells us, and that's why I'm exhorting you, trust, trust the wisdom of God's word. Many of you are walking through life right now being, being your own arbiters of what's good and what's bad, being your own decision makers. You gotta come under the wisdom of God's word. You're walking, your life right now, it's like you're barefoot walking across a field of Lego. 
How, and the, it's real pain. And God's like, there's a way around this Lego. There's a better way. And by the way, on the other side of this Lego is not what you think there is. He warns us to, to, to spare us and to give us real joy. God's word makes clear our purpose in this life. I'm not here to gratify myself, but to glorify him. I'm not here to gather for myself, but to love others. And in that, I experience him. I experience in him. And experiencing him is where the joy is at. So loved ones, trust the wisdom of God's word. Like, believe it. Don't just read it. Believe it. This is, listen, this is a life decision for you. To trust God. To submit myself to him. To bank on what he says is true. And to follow Jesus accordingly. So, first thing. Trust in the wisdom of God's word. Second, know this. Know that just because a person's life is going well doesn't mean it's going good. Hear what I'm saying? Just because a person looks like they got it going on, they're doing well, doesn't mean their life is going good. There's all kinds of people who've got huge success in this world who seem to have all the breaks, lots of good fortune, lots of material wealth, but those things, listen, loved ones, hear this, those things are not signs, automatic signs of God's blessing. There is all kinds of people, even in Christendom, who are really well-to-do, who are not doing good. And the thing is, we get envious of them. I wish I were him. But we don't know. Just because a person's life appears to be going well doesn't mean that it really actually is. May the 18th, 2017, rock star lead singer from the band Soundgarden, his name is Chris Cornell, was tragically found dead in his hotel room after he had taken his own life. Tragic, heartbreaking, and yet at the same time, really dumbfounding for many because not more than two hours before he was found in his hotel room he was performing before 5,000 screaming fans in a sold out Fox theater in Detroit and so many people would look at that see him up there in front of these adoring fans and screaming his name and everything he said yeah yeah they cheer and like that is it so many people are like, that, that is the life. If only I could have just some of that, then I'd be fulfilled. But you won't. You won't. Just know that because a person's life is going well doesn't necessarily mean that's going good. Jesus said this, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Do you believe that? Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Well, what does it consist in? It consists in knowing God. In fact, you can be running full tilt into eternal destruction with everybody wishing they were you. Know this, loved ones. Don't be fooled. Just because a person's life is going well does not necessarily mean that it's going good. That's the second thing. Thirdly and finally, Understand what life is really all about. Understand this. 
That it's, it's not about squeezing all you can out of these few days that we have here on earth. It's not about my temporal accomplishments or my possessions or my experiences. It's all about God. Remember, I'm made for him. Romans eleven thirty six. Paul says it this way. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Life is about God. It's about him. It's, it's the purpose, the point of it. It's what you have comes from him. What you do happens through him and his enabling you to do it. And it's all unto him for his glory. That's what it's all about. The point of this passage is not that laughter is bad. Laughter is good. In fact, some of you could use a good laugh. It does my heart good to hear some of you laughing occasionally here today because sometimes we need that. There is something. Laughter is good medicine, but it won't fill the hole in your heart because the laughter ends eventually and, and you're not made for laughter. So laughter's not bad. It's just, it's, just not, it's just not where the life is. Leisure and entertainment, they're not bad things. They're gifts from God in many ways to help us rest and recover. It's stimulating. It makes us more creative. But the thing is, it's not, not going to fill the hole. Money isn't bad. It can be used to do tremendous good and blessing. Sex is not bad. It's designed. It's God's good, gracious design for a covenant marriage. Rather, these things are given to heighten my enjoyment of God, not to be experienced apart from him. So understand what life is really, really all about. Let me read you this quote. I don't like to read quotes often. But this, I just think this is worth it. So let me just read. Listen carefully. One writes, We taste God's pleasure when we receive laughter as a gift from him. Not mocking other people or joking in a vulgar way, but laughing at ourselves and our limitations, knowing that one day we will enter our master's joy. So see, we, we experience God's pleasure in laughter when it's sanctified. He goes on, we taste true pleasure when we receive wine as a gift from God, drinking it with a merry heart, Ecclesiastes 9 and 7. Not tasting it unlawfully or making a mockery of ourselves by getting intoxicated. We taste God's pleasure when we design good homes and other beautiful buildings, provided that we build them for the good of other people and the glory of God, not for our own grandeur. We taste God's pleasure when we stroll through a beautiful garden and feast our eyes on the colors of creation and see the beauty of God. There is pleasure in rewarding work that is done for the glory of God, in feasting at a banquet table with thanksgiving, in, in silver and gold that is invested in the kingdom of God with the guarantee of an eternal return. There is pleasure in music that delights the ear and moves our emotions to the worship of God. There is pleasure in sexual relations when they are shared as the designer intended. When sexual intimacy is given to someone else rather than taken for ourselves. And when it's shared exclusively between one man and one woman who are bound by a love covenant, for, a love, covenant love for life. Then intercourse finds its higher pleasure. God is not a spoil sport. He's not trying to take away pleasure from us, but to give us more. Once we learn how to find our satisfaction in God himself, then all his gifts become the best and truest pleasures. 
Because as, see what he's saying? As I experience these things rightly, I experience not those things themselves merely, but the God who graciously gave them to me. It's a reflection of his goodness and kindness. And as I enjoy them, I'm enjoying him. That's why I say understand what life is really all about. Let me leave you this illustration. This was a number of years ago. My daughter was, she was really little. And we were, at, we were at that money pit called Chuck E. Cheese. You know Chuck E. Cheese? If you go in there, take your wallet with you. Well, you go in there, and there's all kinds of games and stuff like that. It is a pretty fun place. But what you do is you go around to different activities, and there's certain games that you get, you get tickets. And at the end, before you go home, you take whatever tickets you get to the prize counter, and they give you a prize based on how many tickets you have. Now, usually the, the, the prizes. Pretty modest to say that graciously, but anyway, the whole idea is that kids, when you're in there, you want to collect tickets. Now, something if you're not familiar with Chuck E. Cheese, it happens every now and again, is Chuck E. Cheese himself comes out. Well, not Chuck E. Cheese, because he's a mouse, a big oversized mouse, but an employee dressed up as Chuck E. Cheese, and he comes out, and he's got a bucket, and he's got a bucket full of tickets, and when Chuck E. comes out, all the kids go run to them, not just because they want to see him, but because they know what he's going to do. He's going to reach into his bucket, and he's going to throw the tickets in the air, and when they all land on the ground, the all these little kids come clamoring around to try to pick up the tickets, and you can just take as many as you can grab. And so here, here we are, we're at Chuck E. Cheese. Now, I'm over playing some game, and I don't know what it was, but I'm in there popping my, my coins in, and all of a sudden, I, I hit the jackpot. This never happens to me, but it happened to me in this moment. I hit the jackpot, and all of a sudden, this machine just starts spewing out this huge, long roll of tickets. It just kept coming. I'm standing back, like, look at this, this is awesome. And so I, I'm here dealing with the tickets that spewing out, and as the tickets are spewing out, here comes Chuck out of the back room with his bucket of tickets, and he starts flailing them in the air, and I'm watching this thing. I'll be over to watch the little one. I got to get my tickets. So I get this huge, huge roll of tickets. I tear them off, gather them all together. Like I'm walking like this, carrying my roll of tickets, and I come over to where Chuck is, and there's all these children scrambling around to pick up tickets up off the floor. And among those children was my little girl, Jordy. She was just little, and I looked at her, and I could see her scrambling to try to get a ticket, but as soon as she'd move over, she'd get body checked by some bigger kid, or then she'd reach over to grab a ticket, and somebody else would take it, and this is going, and I can see in her face she's beginning to well up with tears and getting frustrated. Now, I've just hit the jackpot, and I'm starting to call out to her, Jordy, Jordy, because I want to show her, look what I did, look at all this. But she's over there, she's not paying attention to me, because Chuck's there, and there's tickets to be had. And so she's going around, but she can't get any, and everybody else is getting all the tickets, and she can't find any. And when she turned around and looked at me, her poor little face, tears are streaming down her face. She's so heartbroken and so upset. But here I am, with more tickets than all those kids put together, saying, look what I got. And that's when it hit me. This will preach. This will preach. Because, loved ones, that is a picture of what we do when we pursue fulfillment in our lives through pleasures apart from God. We are going through this world trying to pick up little tickets here and there, and your Father in heaven has got endless tickets. He says, here's where the fulfillment is. Here's where the gladness is. You're over there trying to get one or two or three. I got a gajillion just look at me. Turn to me. Trust me. You have in God all that your heart desires. Do you see that, loved one? Or will you persist in picking up and fighting over a ticket here, a ticket there? Will you turn to him and find your fulfillment in him? 
The reality is, is that some of you have been thinking that there is something you've just got to have and you won't be happy without it. But this text shows us, it shows us that more is never enough. In fact, not only is more never enough, the more I pursue it, the more it turns bitter in my mouth. Are you, are you chasing after something right now? Could be something tangible. Could be a position, an experience, a relationship. Are you chasing after something right now, thinking it will do more for you than it ever could or ever will? Do you think it will make you happy, really? Do you believe that to be truly happy, the only thing you need more of is God? That's what this text is for, to move you and me to a place of seeing that, that I just need him. And wonderfully, because of Jesus, he is available to you right now. Jesus came so that you can know God. And what stands between you and him is removed when you trust Jesus. So just like the psalmist said, we can experience in his presence that fullness of joy and that pleasure forevermore. Let's pray together.